All right, everybody, I am here today with Joshua Smith, who is the CEO uh, over at Gas Poss. How are you doing today? Uh, very well. How about yourself? Doing great, Josh. Doing great. So uh, we actually interviewed uh, Josh, I don't know, how long ago was that, that was about, Oh, gosh, it was probably about six, eight months ago. Yeah, it was a, it was a while ago. And we were talking about uh, you know the point-of-sale system. And so today I really want to dive in to a little bit more about uh, partnering with agents and kind of bringing these two worlds of ISO and ISV together and you know the the journey there but before we do that Josh I know a lot of our listeners they may have, they might have missed that earlier episode you know give us a couple of minutes tell us a little bit about um, how you got into uh, you know the, the point of sale system for uh, gas stations for fuel um, and then kind of give us a little bit of your journey in the last six months of you know how things have progressed in, in your business as you've been building your technology company absolutely um, so I grew up in a technology family uh, it's four generations deep and uh, Got into payments, um, I guess, uh, almost 12 years ago now, uh, just because, you know, people were calling us. It was around integrated payments, and uh, we were selling technology to uh, dealerships and marinas and uh, people like that. And, you know, of course, they needed to accept cards, and I kept getting called, you know, almost every day about it. And I was like, okay, I need to figure out, you know, what this is. And um the rest uh, is a little bit of history. Uh, you know, I graduated uh, college in 08, and uh, that wasn't a great time in the fall of 08 to try to get a job. So I just sure. had to you know, work for the fam and <laughs> make something happen. Sure, sure. So how, tell us a little bit about your journey the last six or eight months since we did the last uh, interview. Um, what's kind of been your focus? And maybe you can talk a little bit about um, kind of shifting gears to look more towards distribution and how to, how to grow the, the uh, channel partnerships and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've grown like crazy. Uh, the last four months, we've averaged growing over 30% a month. Um, the other day we had 50 installs on the board and like 17 software projects and, uh, for, you know, 11 people, uh, that's, uh, that's, been that's, not, a, lot. that's a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I'm in San Francisco, uh, right now I'm, uh, at the airport, um, we're, we're fundraising and, uh, luckily we're, we're blessed to have uh, a great venture partners, um, to help us. And, uh, we have, you know, great channel partners, um, our or my belief uh, in how a ISV can work uh, with a channel partner um, is to pay them incredibly well. That that seems right. counterintuitive, but um, a lot of times, you know, the traditional SaaS or software as a service sales model says I'm going to have a VP of sales. I'm going to have a, a crew of account executives whose job is to close, and then I'm going to have you know, three times as many SDRs or sales development representatives. And you know we're going to pay the SDRs like if I'm in SFO or San Francisco, like I'm going to pay them 80, and they're going to get two percent. I'm going to pay the salespeople 100, and they get five for the first year, and then you know I'm going to keep the rest of it. Well, that doesn't work uh, for merchant services. You know like we're, we're all like, independent. Uh, people, yeah. we're, we're, you know, we like our agency um, in the philosophical sense and also in, I guess, the real sense that we have, like, agents. <laughs> but, right. like, you know, we like to be independent. Like, we're, we're free thinkers. Right. And so what we've done um, to build out our channel partnership is we took our competitors and we said, okay, we know that if one of our partners sells X system, they'll make Y dollars. 
And so we grossed that up 10% and we said, that's how much you make if you sell for us. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, uh, the idea is, you know, to put cash in people's pockets immediately. Uh, I, I feel like that, um, in our industry, we get bogged down in buy rates, you know, like, Oh no, yeah. I have a three cent buy rate. I have a four cent buy rate. Right. You know, unless you're Walmart switching from three and a half cents to three cents, it's going to make you zero dollars. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like think right. it takes millions of transactions a month for that to matter. And that's not to say that for national retailers, you know, um, I have a, a buddy that you know, like he does 4 million transactions a day. Like, and you know, he right. runs this humongous organization. Sure. He has a hundred thousand so employees. <laughs> like for him, it matters. But right. for the average agent, like that will never make them like any real money. What you want is you want someone that is going to provide you sales opportunities and you're going to want someone that's going to pay you. And that, that's what we go for. Yeah. And you know, it, so it's so interesting. And, and, you know, Josh, it's like, I really wanted to have you back on the podcast just to kind of have this discussion because, um, you know, last week I was out at the MWAA and um, I hosted a breakfast for some people and, you know, they were asking me, they said, you know, what is the one thing that if you were doing the keynote at the MWAA this year, what is the one thing you'd want to talk about? And I said, you know, without hesitation, it would be this gap that exists between the ISOs and the and the ISVs. It's like mm-hmm. all of the ISOs think that they're going to become technology companies. Right. And all of the ISVs think they're going to become sales companies. And the truth is, neither of them is going to do either thing. Um, they because they both suck at at that at thing. Each other's thing. Like right? yeah. it, you know, an ISV is a technology company, and it's an amazing technology company. And our industry comes with a pre-built, massive distribution channel, mm-hmm. which is all these 1099 independent people running around talking to merchants and. All of those people, what they want is they want really good value. Now they want the training to back it up so they can present it. But they really all want this value that they can go and pitch. Same thing with the ISOs. They're all looking for that value. And so it's like bringing those two worlds together where the technology companies are really focused on the technology and they're accessing the distribution that uh, you know kind of already exists. Um, and then put that together with this niche focus where it's like, hey, you know, for you guys, you're going after fuel stations. Well, there's a lot of ISOs out there that could take the next three months and focus on selling all the fuel stations within, you know, 50 miles of them and partner with you guys and make a ton of money and build a, an attrition-proof portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just kind of curious your play on that. Now, I know you guys have some of your own agents. Have you also kind of looked outside channel partners like ISOs that have their own team that are selling your point-of-sale system? Like, what's kind of been your scope as far as looking for the that distribution has it just been bringing people on as 1099 or has it also been kind of larger channel partners or how's how's that process gone um yeah it's a it's a great question so um we have had a lot of uh people that we've brought on as w2 employees Mm -hmm. um the the reason we did that uh, is for intellectual property and uh, other reasons um but that's we also have specialized or tried to bring on um, channel partners. And uh, if you were in a rural area and you happen to be listening, you know, you drive two hours anyway on any rural highway that you want and find every unbranded gas station, drop like walk in, we'll send you a fly, drop it off. <laughs> and you can right. like, and we can sell those deals. And like, you know, it's absolutely true. Like yeah. you need feet in the street. Um, yeah. But it's really weird. So, um, I, I think, you know, to your point, 
uh, as technologists, you know, we talk about growth hacking and growth marketing and, and viral marketing, and we want to figure out, you know, how many dollars can we spend with Google or Facebook or LinkedIn, and we want to capture those leads. We want to then, like, once we have an email, we're going to send you emails for forever, you know, right, stuff like that right. to try to get leads. And, like, that, that fits a traditional model. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, you know, for brick-and-mortar, you know, small business uh, retail, like, it makes all the sense in the world to just, you know, walk in okay, and, and, sell them. Um, and have a conversation. Right. And so um, I'm, I'm not 100% sure that I answered your question, but... No, you did. Um, and, I, and I think, yeah. I mean, reading between the lines, I'm guessing that you're experiencing something very similar to what a lot of other ISVs I consult for are experiencing, which is you've probably tried to reach out to some of these other channel partners that have 50, 100 reps and said, hey, we should work together. But it's like they have their way of doing things and they're kind of stuck in that. They, they have their financial model. They're not looking to renegotiate something very different. And, and there's there's roadblocks. I mean, have you experienced that kind of difficulty in finding those relationships or has or has there been a lot of uh you know, interest that direction? Uh, no, there absolutely is. So we leverage payments um, as a means to an end. And uh, what I mean by that is uh, we did an experiment. We said, okay, we're going to take 10 retailers and we will bill them uh, for their SaaS fees or their software fees. Right. And two out of 10 people paid us. We then said, okay, that didn't work. Let's right. put it on the MPA or the Merchant Processing Agreement. Right. And we got paid 100% of our money. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> you know, clearly the latter is better than the former. Um, but at the same time, um, we also use the MPAs like, as a means to drive our value. But it produces oversized returns that people are normally into. And so, you know, it, for software companies, you know, we can't pay you, you know, 80% over four cents or three cents or, right. you know, 50, 50, like, or like the traditional like sales model. Like, you know, we're not out just putting terminals on counters and trying to flip paper anymore. And there's, there's a lot of money that goes into uh, putting a point of sale out there. Like for instance, for us, it costs us about five grand to get a system set up. Right. So, I can't like also it costs me $500 to get someone to convert from like the internet. So I can't spend $5,500 and then pay you 90% of the money. Right. And that like, is where the, the, the real conflict is. The yeah. second is around payment facilitation. Uh, we're in the process of registering as a you know, third party payment uh, provider. Right. Um, we have a lot of products we've built around settlement and the float. And uh, I, I was out here meeting uh, with some guys that have built uh, a cryptocurrency app that's like it's amazing it works on point and we can talk about that in a second um they also run a hedge fund but the uh idea is like i think that if like you know we can if i as a as a business owner or as a software ceo um, my job is to go grow so like as a salesperson like i can feed you warm leads um i can tee you up for success but you can't ask for all the money like you have to like right. reimagine you know, right. what this looks like. And a, a traditional SaaS uh, or software as a service comp plan says you get 10% of the first year value. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so there, there is a gap there. You can't want, yeah. if I'm used to paying 10%, you can't want 90%. Right. Especially if I have to, to front all of the money to get you there. <laughs> right. right. Well, and I, think, and I think this is it, Josh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, to me, the rationale financially and what a lot of ISOs that I talk to don't seem to understand is it's like, okay, 
yes, you could go place a VX520 in a, you know, uh, whatever, in a, in a retail store. And you could get, you know, whatever, 70% of that, let's say, and you're going to make, you know, on that account, you're going to make, you know, $40 a month in residual. And you're going to make that hopefully for the next, you know, 24 to 36 months. But there's a lot of risk that they may upgrade to another point of sale system. There's a lot of external risks that you can't even really evaluate. But we know for sure that the value of the portfolio in a buyout is going to be like a maybe, you know, 15 to 20x or something. It's not going to be huge. But what you're doing is it's like, okay, number one, the margins are going to be higher. The split is going to be a little bit lower. But the thing is, we're talking about people that are wrapping their entire business operation around something that's going to lock in the payment processing. Mm -hmm. So the multiple on that, it's just worth a lot more because, you know, even if you're getting right. a lower percentage or whatever, I mean, whatever you're getting long term as an ISO, that's going to be locked in and it's attrition proof. And it's long term. right? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Am I, am I on the right track with that, Josh? Is that kind of the value prop for like why an ISO should offer something, you know, working with these niche ISVs like what you guys have to offer? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Um, so uh, if you took a super sticky um, portfolio, uh, you could get, you know, 30 uh, months on that. Um, right. FinTech companies are, tr are trading today at 20 to 50 times revenue. So if right. I do a million dollars a year, my companies are 20 to $50 million. Right. Uh, and that's if, uh, that assumes, you know, double digit month over month growth, which is, um, it's, insanely hard thing to pull off and right. like literally the growing part's easy it's the like not like dying from growth that, that's hard yeah. but on the same side you know if you can marry uh those two together like there, there's a lot um a lot to be made and yeah like we enter into what i think about this uh we enter into 60 month agreements and the the metric that like people care about um, when they're investing is what we call net negative churn. And what that means is that we are going to increase the value of our existing customers more than the amount of customers we lose. Right. Then you think mm -hmm. about the traditional, you know, if you go buy uh, a portfolio, you're going to lose 40 to 20% of your customers. Right. So to have net negative churn, you would, I'm not good enough at math to figure this out, <laughs> but like, you can imagine that it's the polar opposite yeah, of that. Exactly. So, like right. selling sticky technology and, and providing value, and that, that was the, the, my like last sign off like, when we did this is it's you, like, people are happy to pay for value, and they buy things from people they like. Mm -hmm. So if you can be someone that someone will like, and you can provide them value, like you will have a customer uh, for life, you know, and. People are super smart. They also know, like that, you know, this our game of trying to save people money is going to zero. You know, what's the right. um, World Pay is, for instance, advertises petroleum payments at two point nine cents a transaction. You know, like it's if you do a, a thousand transactions, twenty nine bucks. Right. Like no one's making money like off of that. Right. Right. Why not? We make 10 times that just on our software fees. Right. So like right. the, and then we make more money on, on top of that because, um, you know, we, we just are, are there for them. And the, the way we do it is simple. You know, we answer the phone. We, um, you know, we, we give them a system. Like, you know, it's, it's just, it's, 
just technology uh, that they need. Yeah. And making the technology usable for them. Right. Yeah. Right. Which is the, oh, which yes, is the most expensive Absolutely. part. Most expensive part. Yeah. <laughs> Paying the developers. So, so Josh, and I think uh, this is so, so good. And I, I do have one other thing I want to talk about that's kind of separate from this main issue. I want to talk about cash discounting a little bit. But before we get to that, I mean, just to kind of summarize, and again, correct me if I'm wrong with any of this, but, you know, the again, the main reason I wanted to have you back on here is just... I'm really passionate right now about this opportunity that exists. There's this gulf that exists between ISOs and ISVs, mm-hmm. uh, two sides to a market that are in, in, you know, obvious marriages should be happening here all the time, and they're not. And so what I find is on the ISO side, I find a very rigid, this is how we've always done it. We have our buy rate. We have our ridiculously high split because it's all commoditized. We pay our salespeople this, you know. And so there needs to be a willingness on the ISO side to say, well, hold on, that model is going to be dead in five years. So instead of that, let's keep that going, but let's also start to explore some verticals we can go after. Let's find a good ISV. Uh, that, and, and let's be willing to say, hey, when you make a sale of this, maybe there's more upfront money for the sales rep, not as much back end, you know, whatever it is, but it's attrition proof and it's going to be valuable long term. Then on the ISV side, a lot of the ISVs, as you mentioned earlier, it's like they don't want to pay. They, they look at it and say, well, I'm only paying, you know, 10 percent of the first year's value when I when I sell an internal lead. Well, yeah, but this isn't an internal lead. You don't have to pay salary on a bunch of people. You don't have to take that risk. You don't have mm-hmm. to pay the acquisition cost uh, as far as the commission goes. So the ISVs have to be willing to adjust their model to get it a little bit closer to the ISOs and figure out what the ISOs are looking for and how they want to get a piece of the long term. And so there's kind of that compromise that has to happen in the middle for these channel relationships to develop. But once a channel relationship like that actually happens and you really have that partnership and that symbiosis where the ISV is providing extensive software training, whether through screenshot videos or whatever, and they're helping to train the channel partner agents, the channel partner agents are out there they're pitching it and they're seeing the results of it. Um, it's so much easier to sell. Uh, it's it's so much more fun to sell uh, once you know what you're talking about. And it's so much easier to find the right people to target that there's a big opportunity that exists there. And it's one that, in my opinion, in our industry right now, it's the biggest opportunity that's just not really being taken advantage of. So I don't know. That's that's my thought on it, Josh. You have anything to kind of add to that to that uh, that summary there? Yeah, no. Um... Absolutely. So, uh, Zenefits was the fastest growing SaaS software company ever, and they had a uh, hundred salespeople. Um, so, for anyone out there that's uh, building technology and uh, fintech related, or um, that is you know anywhere close to, to merchants or retailers, uh, you know, find good people uh, to work with. Um, on the yeah. other side. Uh, to, to the ISOs, um, if you can make a relationship uh, with a software company, um, train your salespeople, make sure that um, you know, they have integrity, uh, that they don't uh, mess up a good thing, <laughs> I guess, right. so to speak, because right. again, you know, we're judged by, uh, we can't have not only like 1% churn, we have to like have zero or net negative churn. So like our customer relationships and customer success is the most important thing right. uh, that we have. But in, in the middle of that uh, it is a ton um, of cash and, and money and, you know, like a, a prosperity. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what, you know, we're, we're all working for. And so it's uh, just everybody, you know, has to reimagine 
um, what what they're doing. But uh, you know, I, I think uh, James, one of the things that I remember from quite a long while ago, you know, you said, "Hey, if I can give you a, a lead, you should come sell for me." Um, go work for software companies. Uh, there's these amazing people that we call growth hackers and they specialize in digital marketing and we get leads by the hour, you know, and right. all we want is someone to go call them because right. we literally have more leads than we can call. Right. And mm-hmm. so uh, on the same sense, you know, if you're in sales, but to be in that same experience, you know, right, like you just right, want to be right. the guy that's catching the leads and going and closing. Right. And, and so uh, there's a happy marriage uh, to be had there uh, and there's prosperity for everybody. Yeah, and I think and I think the other big switch that I didn't mention that you just brought up, which is so important, is the change in the sales process itself, right? So it's not just about <clears throat> train your people to understand the product and then kind of change the compensation a little bit to match this new this new software model, but also it's like the sales process itself might change. In other words, maybe initially your salespeople are going out there and they're helping. They're, they're the idea of making a sale is scheduling a demo for someone at you know. Uh, at the ISV and then they're doing a demo um, or maybe they're showing a demo video. And so, you know, because the ISV has to be more careful about their brand, it's not like just, you know, flipping out a VX 520, it's like $5,000 or whatever to make the investment to get the customer. And so the ISV has to do a little bit more due diligence to make sure that yes, you got us a prospect. Yes, they're interested. That's great. But we have to make sure that they're the the right fit so that our brand reputation stays uh, crystal clear. I mean, am I, am I right on that? Right. You absolutely are. Um, you know, man's good name is the best thing about him, yeah. uh, as they say. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the same is true. You know, you're, you're only as good as, you know, the, the people you make happy. And right. uh, keeping the, those relationships, you know, especially like, you know, from a SaaS perspective as well, like, you know, people are willing to spend two, three years worth of license fees up front uh, for a discount. And, and that, you know, it's, well, if you think, you know, even a hundred dollars a month times three years is $3,600. You know, sure. If I can comp out 30% of that, like it's a grand. Right. So, you know, like, but to be able to pull that off, people have to be incredibly comfortable that, you know, they're willing to spend, uh, in Arkansas, the average apartment rents for $800 a month. So eight times three is 24. So, you know, it's three, four months, five months rent, like right. on something like mm-hmm. that's got to be good. Mm-hmm. And, right. uh, right. no, that's, uh, it, it's very, very important. Sure. Um, you mentioned cash discounting. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of wanted to know, I mean, and I know you're kind of in a unique vertical because of, uh, you know, fuel stations already, uh, you know, somewhat familiar with that, let's say, but I'm just kind of curious, you know, just quickly, if you've seen any kind of trends, what, what's the reaction of the fuel store owners? Because I mean, talk a little bit about how you're using that in your model. If, if memory serves, that's a pretty big part of what you guys do, isn't it? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. Uh, in kind discounting, um, is critical to what we do. We, uh, we believe, or what we're seeing is that uh, the retailers uh, want to find a happy medium. Um, they don't want to sign up uh, with some deal where they're going to charge their merchants, three, or their customers, excuse me, 3.5% and then get charged 4% from the ISO and like live in the, in the float somewhere. Like, so I think the you know, 3.99 cash discounting is, is going away. Um, and, and that's just, in my opinion, other people's experiences may be different, but, uh, what they want to do a, a lot of times, um, you know, there's a gentleman that I know and, uh, he offers 
gas for a dollar a gallon less uh, than um, he charges for a credit card. So it's a 30%, you know, generally like cash discount. And the reason why is um, he wants his money like right that second. So, um, you know, as we think about uh, the the, the world, you know, I love uh, immediate funding. Um, we think that's yeah. going to take over and, yeah, and get huge, you know, whether yeah. that's a, you know, a square capital or a yep, clover funding right. has one, uh, yep. you know, other people, mm-hmm. um, you know, retailers like need their money, their business people. Like it's really expensive to go stock a bar, yeah. you know, I mean, try to go buy like a thousand bottles of liquor, like <laughs> or a liquor store, you know, like, it's right. expensive. It is. So it like, is. get me my money faster. And, and, and Petro uh, is the same way. a good way to do that. Yeah, fuel stations, I think, particularly run into the cash flow issues. And I, and I think as salespeople, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of 1099 salespeople and even ISOs, you know, they just have never really quite, our industry is um, just not as cash strapped. It's almost like, you know, our whole industry is right. predicated on these big monster companies that pay out all this money to get distribution. And as a result of that, a lot of ISOs built their whole ISO without ever really running into major cash strap situations. They're mm-hmm. getting upfront spiffs. They're sure. paying a percentage to the agent. And they may not understand that they these small business it. owners right. are broke, Yeah, um, legitimately broke. And, and especially you know, in, in, in the in the gas air sure. industry. I mean, margins are so low. Margins are so low and, and prices mm-hmm. are fluctuating so much. Right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a really good point. So, yeah, I'm just kind of curious on that. And, I mean, you know. Uh, I think, I think, you know, and it's funny you said the 3.99. I mean, I can tell you from an industry perspective, macro, I mean, it's definitely not going away right now. I mean, it's, it's like exploding. Um, but I, but you know, it's one of those things that will run its course, right? I mean, it's like everything else, you know, it's a market, it's a free market. It's obviously going to go down from there. Right. Um, but yeah, it's interesting watching that, you know, watching that happen. But to me, the larger point is, you are selling amazing technology to a specific vertical and then leveraging the cash discount trend to say you, it, it really is going to actually save you money in the long term as well as dramatically upgrading your experience. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we have a thing we call CLC, uh, which is actually credit less than cash. And uh, it, it's for 18-wheeler drivers. And it says, if you, know, if you use a regulated debit card, that costs me 25 cents. If you uh, to fill your truck up, if you use a, a fleet card, it costs me eight dollars. So I can give you right. a five dollar discount on uh-huh. every time you buy gas. And you know when you're buying gas every 24 hours, uh, five bucks a day like adds up uh, huge, especially right. when fuel is their number one sure. um, expense. So it's it's kind of the exact opposite. But yeah, no, I mean we all live uh, in our own you know like echo chambers or bubbles, right. and, and you know like selling to tobacco stores. I was talking to a gentleman the other day and he was like, you know, uh, people's cigarettes are, you know, one of their most expensive, you know, habits or uh-huh. you know, they're certainly expensive habit. You know, it's their most expensive purchase every day. Right. And, you know, they're not going to pay 4% more. And he was adamant about not doing it. Um, but at the same time, you know, if I was at a boat dealership, and someone wanted to, you know, put their down payment on an Amex, I'd be like, that's 4%. <laughs> like, right, just, right, you know, like, right. it's, it's just different. And, um, yeah, like, I, I certainly have uh, very few answers. Um, we uh, we do what we call A-B testing, which is we have an idea, we test it, yep, and sure. uh, if we, like, get 10% of people that look at it and think it's a good idea, we think we want. Right, <laughs> so, right. like, I'm wrong generally 90 to 98% of the time, and right, 2% right. I'm super happy. <laughs> yeah, so, you just got to uh, test yeah, it out and, and see what works. So, But, yeah, but I think, I think the larger trend, though, is, I mean, that – 
that model is very interesting. And I think we're going to see more and more. And, and it's funny, too. I mean, just to clarify, I mean, obviously, none of us are lawyers here on this call. So this isn't legal advice or anything. But I mean, it sounds like what you're using there is kind of under the umbrella of like the in-kind incentive under the Durbin Amendment of like, you know, you can provide an incentive to get somebody to pay with the fleet card versus a rewards card or, or whatever. I mean, that's kind of the, generally speaking, that's what you guys are doing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this comes from like contracts that uh, the uh, merchants have entered into uh, with the fleet processors, right. and, and it's hyper specific right. uh, to eighteen wheeler sure. drivers sure. That's and a very specific uh, thing. you know the particular networks. Right. Um, sure. you know, it. It, it's not necessarily a generalizer, but it is an in kind discount. And yeah, I mean, the uh, as we understand it, and uh, one of my co-founders. Uh, uh, well, as we understand it, we, we're, we're good to go. Yeah, um, right. and, and the merchants like it. And, um, yeah. but yeah, no, I mean, obviously, uh, being compliant with, with legal and regulatory sure. is super, super specific. Important. And yeah, yeah definitely sure. consult your attorney. Well, and again, it's like, though, I think it's, you know, the, the interesting thing to me, I guess, is just that larger trend. I think we'll see more and more ISVs coming in because, because right now, cash discounting and surcharging, both of those are incredibly not integrated like mm -hmm. into anything right now right, um right. and which is one of the reasons i like interviewing you josh because it's always interesting that you guys have, have kind of from the foundation built it that way but um i think we'll see more and more isvs going down that because they're going to realize like wow this is like the absolute perfect thing to sell because it's high margin it's amazing technology and it's free or, or not free, but, you know, virtually free uh, right. because, you know, we're passing the cost on. So um, it's kind of a, an amazing pitch to be able to use. So, sure. um, Josh, I really appreciate the time today. That was uh, it's just so, such an interesting conversation. I think I could keep going for another hour, but uh, I guess we better we better cut it short. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, if I may, um, I'd like to. Uh, give a quick mention uh, to some friends of mine yeah, sure. uh, that have built so it's some really cool technology. Um, so it works on point, and uh, they're they're looking for salespeople. Okay. And uh, it's basically a uh, blockchain uh, payment technology. Okay. Um, and it, the idea is, you know, it's payments as a service. Sure. So there's no interchange fees. Um, there's no settlement fees. Uh, there's nothing. And um, all they do is uh, you sign the retailer up. Uh, the customers can use an app. Um, and they can pay with uh, anything they want from, you know, Bitcoin to Litecoins to uh, they uh, are six, uh, probably 60 to 90 days away from allowing people to pay with, you know, fractional uh, shares. Sure. Um, of a, so if you have like a you know, share by the say it was a hundred dollars right. and you wanted to buy a cup of coffee, you could pay with five percent of one share of IBM uh, for anything, and so it's going to fundamentally change uh, the way commerce happens. Right. And uh, they're called Token Vault, and um, they uh, are uh, investment bankers and uh, technologists um, sure. at heart. And uh, it's backed by uh, one of the largest asset managers uh, on the planet, um, $750 billion uh, under management. And, um, you know, they uh, are amazing people. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it, as people talk about, you know, changes in FinTech and changes uh, in, you know, the way that we uh commerce with each other. I don't even commerce that, that that's not a real word. But it's the way that we transact with each sure. other. Um right. you know, being able to open any asset that, that you may own um to like, any asset. real time sure. thing. You know, like how bad does it is it, or how problematic is it? it's like, hey, I want to make a purchase and I'm up on my, you know, Berkshire stock. So I'm going to sell a little bit of it. You know, right, that takes three right. days, three to five days to get my money. And then I've got right, to wait. Right. Um, but 
the the future is we'll we'll digitize it uh, and do sure. it instantly. And for the merchants, they get their money in real time. So there's no settlement. Mm. Um, it's you know sure, you, it's the customer pays and, and you get your money. So uh, so again, the, it's called Token Vault and it's amazing. So <laughs> yeah, so the the name was Token Vault. And when just to clarify for those that may not understand, you said it works on Point. I assume you're talking about the Point Terminal P O Y N T. It's an app on the Point Terminal, right? Uh, yes, sir. Absolutely. Okay. Got it. Josh, what if they want to learn more about you? I'm sure there's ISOs listening, agents that are like, hey, I want to learn more about you. Where would you send them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can go to uh, gaspos.co. Um, you can watch a demo, uh, fill out a form. Um, you can always, uh, I gave my cell phone out on the last time. Uh, so you can check out the last video or episode and I get my cell phone <laughs> yeah, number. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't or, put that out there uh, Send me <laughs> an funny. email. Um, it's josh.smith at gaspos.co. Awesome. So that's gaspos.co. So, Josh, thanks so much again for your time, man. Hope you have a great day, and uh, I'm sure we'll interview you again in the future. Thanks a lot, Josh. Absolutely. Hey, y'all be well. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Greensheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. Okay, so uh, this week I want to talk about uh, what, I've, what I've titled, What's Old is New Again. And uh, in particular, we're talking about consumer installment lending. Okay. You know, installment loans have been around for eons, but much of the market gave way to revolving credit in the form of bank cards. Uh, I remember back in the day when I was first out of college, uh, bank cards, you know, were pretty new. We still did a lot of, you know, buying things on time. Sure. Um, but... <laughs> You know, now installment loans are getting a new lease on life, and this seems to be fueled at least in part by consumer pushback over the high cost of credit cards. Hmm. Um, Raymond Pucci, who is a research director at Mercator Advisory Group, put it this way. He said, quote, shoppers are looking for new ways to pay and merchants looking to sell – excuse me, shoppers looking for new ways to pay and merchants looking to sell higher ticket items and deter abandonments has driven a flurry of activity in the buy-now-pay-later market. The other thing that's aiding this trend, I, I think, is uh, technology advances like artificial intelligence sure. that support near-instantaneous credit decisions, right? So um, MasterCard has projected that the POS installment lending market is a $1.8 trillion opportunity. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's huge. Hmm. And, and, and although... Um, from you know the people I talk to, although a lot of these are subprime borrowers, they're not all subprime borrowers. Right. You know, some are just people Looking like you convenience. and I who just don't feel like building up their their credit card balance. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So you know the card brands, large retailers, and financial technology firms are all angling uh, to get into this market. <clears throat> Excuse me. Square was the first out of the gate with what it calls Square installments which are geared toward, toward small merchants. When I was researching this, I, I found a, a data point that I thought was interesting. Uh, Square says that it's a, a survey of consumers that it undertook last year found 68% would be more apt to shop at a small or local merchant if they offered POS loans. Huh. Wow. Yeah, I thought that that was a pretty significant number, and I thought, you know, for especially for for people that that we're talking to, you know, for the sure. folks out there, I mean, you're dealing with a lot of small merchants. This is something you should should look at if you're not already, yeah. you know. 
And, and isn't um, this, Patty, this is, so when you talk about these installment loans, I mean, uh, just to kind of throw a name out there, but I mean, th this is similar sure. to like Serve Credit. We were talking about to Mark Boshan, Exactly. Right? In fact, I, okay. it's exactly what Serve Credit. In fact, I talked to Mark when I was um, when I was prepping this, you know? Sure, okay. I mean, one of the things that Mark said to me, um, and, that, and that's uh, Mark Bocamp, for those who don't remember, we interviewed him here probably about six months ago, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, right? And uh, he told me that merchants using his platform to offer POS installment loans are seeing sales lifts as high as 20 to 25 percent. Well, I'm really not surprised. Actually, it's it's such a need right no. now. You know, it's it's really uh, it, that's and I, and I think too the other thing is <clears throat> I think offering that doesn't it kind of give you put you in a different your brand in a different position with your customer when you know you have this you have this relationship with them. You know, it's very different. Right, very different. And it's like, hey, you know, you you can't afford this right now. We can help you do that. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I, I love it. You know, it reminds. Yeah. Me yeah, I mean, it I reminds me, in fact, you know, of uh, I, I buy all of my electronics, you know, my computers, my stereo stuff, my TVs from Best Buy because they have this me great, too. you know, they have a, you know, a great buy now, pay later plan. Usually it's six months, same as cash. Wow. And that's kind of similar to what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and uh, so, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, just to show you what, what some of the other uh, people that are getting into this, other companies, MasterCard and American Express are uh, major investors in a firm called Divido, which has a white label platform that supports these programs. Sure. MasterCard also has acquired a firm called Vise, which uh, supports various consumer financing, financing options, including POS installment loans. And then in June... Visa announced that it's piloting a suite of APIs to support POS installment loans. Huh. And the pilot includes a select group of issuer banks and merchants, and Visa's saying they expect these APIs to start being available early next year. Right. Okay. Now, the specifics of these types of programs vary, but the bottom line is, like, I, you know, like we said, you don't have to pay everything up front at the point of purchase. Sure. Uh, here's how one Visa exec put it. He said, uh, quote, we expect installments to become a foundational method of payment at checkout for both domestic and cross-border payment transactions. Hmm. Yeah. You know, historically, installment plans have been used for large dollar purchases. You know, like I said, electronics, home appliances, furniture, they all top the list of, uh, of purchases placed on, on these installment plans. Yeah. But a recent uh, survey, survey by Oriema um, Research found interest in using these loans for smaller dollar purchases, even groceries, which I find kind of baffling. I mean, wow. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to eat my my uh, my lobster tonight, I don't want to pay for it next month. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it is. It's, it's interesting, and I think, you know, I mean – it's interesting because I'm sure there are definitely going to be some, there's always going to be people that are going through that difficult time where, yeah, you know, maybe right. they're in between jobs, uh, you know, something like that. And so, yeah, something I mean. Being you know. hit and they're, you know, they're just out of cash. Yeah. I mean, I could see it. I could definitely see it. It's like payday is in two days and right. we got to feed the kids. Right. You know, I mean, that's, you know, it's, 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 un I guess I would say it's very unfortunate that a product like that has a market here in the U.S., but, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's an unfortunate reality, though. I think, I think there's, right. you know, people going through. I mean, I remember when we were, Christine and I were starting our business, you know, 11 years ago, and uh, there were some times there where we might have leveraged some uh, buy now, pay later on, uh, you know, $100 worth of something that, you know, at that sure. time, 
sure. else didn't have the money for, you know. So I can see that. And I, I think, remember you, know, you guys telling me the story about when you were first starting out, and you know, you would get uh, uh, take back gifts and get gift cards at Walmart, right? Exactly. To, to yeah. Buy groceries. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I think there's, uh, so it's funny for me because it's like, I think if you would have told me about this product 12 or 13 years ago, I would have said, oh my goodness, that's ridiculous. But, yeah, um, you same know, here. yeah, but you know, going through situations myself, uh, you know, way mm-hmm. back and, and then it's like, you know, so you always kind of have that in the back of your mind of like, wow, you know, it, it's, it is, there are people that are struggling for a variety of reasons and, and there's times you know, that they're struggling. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, exactly. I mean, it's you not like a, about when you started out, when I right. got divorced, it was really tough. You know, I suddenly had half my income right know? right and and it was a, it was a struggle for a while there but sure so well, I, I think those, those products definitely have a place for sure yeah yeah and here's an interesting thing because I, I i was thinking of this because i was remembering you and christina talking you know telling the the walmart anecdote several months ago um walmart has partnered with a fintech called the firm and that was a company founded by one of paypal founders yep i heard about that one Right, and uh, they're offering POS installment loans on purchases ranging from 150 to 2,000 dollars, and wow. they're available at Walmart supercenters. Hmm. Um, you know, so that tells you. I mean, there's definitely a small, you know, a low dollar end to that market. And uh, you know, according to the consumers that Oriema surveyed, they said they like installment plans because it helps them with budgeting. Sure. Um, yeah. And, of course, merchants, like I said, like we said, they don't have to turn sales away, and they actually are seeing sales lifts. And, of course, for the ISOs and MLSs, uh, there are residuals to be had on every installment payment. So, right. you know, there's great. it's a great opportunity. You know, Oriama's research suggests that the option resonates with both credit and debit card holders, but that it's more of a draw for debit card holders, like, which I thought was interesting, which sure. kind of goes with that budgeting thing, you know. Um, they found that six in 10 debit card holders, um, think that POS installment loans are attractive. Four in 10 would consider using, um, such a loan to pay for everyday purchases like groceries and household items. But here's the catch. Fewer than three in 10 report ever being offered installment payments at the checkout. So, you know, that's a, that's a lot of opportunity out there that's uh, begging to be tapped. Yeah. So I think it's like, for me, the big takeaway from this insider's report is, you know, if you're looking for a vertical to attack with a particular value proposition, you know, look uh-huh. for opportunities like Surf Credit and others and find verticals right. that have those high ticket items or even medium ticket items that, you know, would be a benefit and go in there and tell them these statistics of, hey, you know, you could be having a huge lift in revenue, you know, if you were offering this at the counter and, uh, you know, making a lot of extra money. So to me, it's a great value add, definitely something to, to be talking about. Yeah. And it's not just a you know a money maker for the retailers. It's you know well, it's, it's a it's a uh, it's a loyalty thing as well. You know, which of course is money maker too. Right. But, I mean, of you're going to you're going to endear your customers to you if you offer if you offer to help them. Yep, I love it. Wow, great information, Patty. Really interesting stuff today. Thanks, James. This is questions from the field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, 
NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the Optiflu program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So last week, Patty, I was talking about the enemy of yes, which is maybe. Yeah, I, I thought no, no. I found that really interesting. Actually. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So um, actually, it came from uh, a consulting that I did recently for a software ISV. Okay. Uh, ironically, and you know, uh -huh. here we are talking to Josh Ch today. Josh this week, right? Um, but we were talking about closing sales, and that really came up as as an issue. And so what I want to talk about this week is okay. So you're like, okay, James, I get it. You know, I don't want to get maybe. I want to get a yes or a no. Well. The, like we talked about last week, one of these kind of laws of sales is that one out of three qualified prospects that you pitch and you mm -hmm. do a value presentation, one out of three is going to say yes, yeah. one out of three is going to say no. Correct. There's nothing you can do about that. Right. That just is what it is. Um, law now, of averages. That's the law of averages. It's just, you know, it's like if you look at, you know, professional sports and look at the uh, batting averages, mm -hmm. you know, there's kind of a, everybody's going to hit this many, everybody, you know, right. but it's, it, everybody's going to have this many strikeouts, everybody's going to have this many hits, but then there's that middle that, you know, really separates the, 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 the uh, best from the, the bad. Best. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about what separates. And so the biggest thing that separates, in my opinion, in this industry specifically is, the ability to close on action steps, um, the ability to close on action steps. And so the idea is salespeople in this industry get a little bit too focused on closing the quote unquote sale. Mm -hmm. I want to get the big yes. Right. When I say that, you know, maybe is the enemy of uh, yes, um, I don't mean yes, meaning like closing the sale and getting the paperwork signed. I'm talking about lots of little yeses. Mm -hmm. And so the key is that you have to just as passionately close to get the merchant to take the next action step as you do to get them to close and actually complete the paperwork. I sure, actually close sure. harder on stuff like, you know, we need to have a follow-up meeting. Mm -hmm. We need to have a follow-up meeting if, you know, let's say the partner's not there. Right. And the business partner's not there. I talk them through it a little bit. Um, a couple of things I'm going to do in that situation. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I have sold the person I'm speaking to right now. Uh-huh. Sure. So I'm going to start by saying, well, hey, you know, I totally appreciate that. I certainly would not want you to make a decision you're not comfortable with. But how do you feel about what I just said to you? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, use hypotheticals, you know. So assuming your business partner likes it as much as you do mm -hmm. are there any remaining questions you have or are you ready to move forward mm -hmm. right and they might say well i think it's too expensive still but i'd like to talk to my business partner uh -huh. well you're dead in the water right they're you gonna know. go to their business partner and say this is too expensive let's right. not meet with this person right now what a lot of salespeople will do is they'll say oh okay well when should i come back instead, no instead of saying how can i make this more palatable? right you have a maybe so mm -hmm. you got to get it to a yes or a no. So mm -hmm. don't waste your time. Instead, you're going to say, well, you know what? Then before we schedule that meeting, I want to make sure I have you 100% on board because, frankly, I want us both to go into the meeting with the intention of let's talk to your business partner and convince and make him. This work. Right. Yeah. So, so what are your concerns? Tell me more about it. What can I do to make the value, you know, make it more valuable? What are the concerns you have? Mm -hmm. Close them first. So first of all, whoever I'm talking to, um, I want to close them. And then number two is, again, I want to get them to take the next action step. So I would 
would say, okay, great. So once I have them convinced, I'm like, so let me get this straight. We need to talk to your business partner, but assuming your business partner likes this as much as you do, we're ready to move forward. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Mm-hmm. Yes. We're, I like it. I think it's great. That's a solid yes. Now let's see. Yes. Right. Now we say, okay, great. So I tell you what, is your business partner available? Would it be better next week on Tuesday at 9 a.m.? Or Friday mm. at 2 p.m. Right, right. Well, I don't know. I'll give you a call next week. Uh-uh. That does not work. Nope. That's a maybe. Yeah. You've got to get a yes or a no. And again, you're going to lose some people. Mm-hmm. If I keep pushing this and saying, well, okay, yeah, sure. And no, I understand that. But to, what's the best time, generally speaking? Because I definitely want to get a solid time in the schedule because I know we're both going to get busy and we're going to forget all we're about it. Forget it. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And they say, well, I don't really want to schedule right now. Well, let's go back because I'm, you know, really, whenever somebody doesn't want to schedule to follow up with me, there's usually they... some underlying concerns. Mm-hmm. What are those concerns that you have? Right. You've got to close them. Get a yes or a no. Mm-hmm. Don't leave it hanging because, again, if you leave, and they they have not agreed to take further action that is specific and time sensitive. You just wasted your time. You just got to You're going to get a no. Right. The only difference is you're going to waste your time going back two or three more times before mm-hmm. you get a no. Right. So I'm not saying you got to close and get a yes to the wholesale every single time. I'm not saying that at all. But the steps along the yes. way. Yes. But you don't leave with it at a maybe. You leave with yes. I am going to give you my statement when you come back tomorrow at four. Mm-hmm. Or yes, you can meet with my spouse and we'll, the, we'll all discuss it together and I'm ready to move forward and we will be doing that next week, Tuesday at 9 a.m. Yeah. That is a yes that will hopefully lead to another yes that will hopefully lead to another yes that will lead to a sale. Right. And you've got to keep those yeses going. And if at some point you lose them, that's okay. Like we talked about last week, no is fine. If it's a no, it's a no. As long as you know it's a no. Yeah. And as long as you don't waste another hour trying to follow up with somebody that's not interested. Right. So that's the key thing is you got to get the yes or the no, but not necessarily just the big yes. You want to have the little yeses that lead up, but you got to close. Make sure you've convinced the person you're talking to. Make sure you're closing them on the next action steps that they need to take. Yeah. Good advice, James. Thanks. Thanks, Patty. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.